right, good morning and welcome once again to the Digital Cathedral here in Houston, Texas. Hope you've had a wonderful week and you're ready to get into the Word this morning. And uh, I want to finish today on what we've been working on for the last two weeks, short little series on uh, finding our why, why we exist, what we're all about. <clears throat> we tend to know what we do and how we do it, but the big question is why? Why do we do what we do? Why, why are we here? What's the purpose of the digital cathedral and individual lives that come every Sunday morning and we gather around uh, teaching of the word and stretching of our spiritual lives and understanding? Why, why do we do this? What, what's the cause? What's the purpose? And I hope by exposing what I feel is the why of our internet ministry on both Sunday morning and Wednesday night live, the little brother of the Digital Cathedral, I hope that you're also discovering the why of your life because the why of your life and the why of why we come together on Sunday morning should, should pretty well dovetail. And when they do, <clears throat> then we have an explosiveness that begin to connect us from different points all around, not only around the United States of America, but around the world. So we're going to look at that this morning and I want to, uh, I want to finish it up. So we've talked about two Wise, and I want to finish with two others this morning. I would like to begin with the word suddenly. I want you to think about the word suddenly with me this morning. Because it, it seems like the work that God is doing all over the earth is a, is a work of suddenly. It just, it just happens. As suddenly as light that fills a dark room when you flip the light switch. That's pretty quick. That's suddenly. As suddenly as sight comes maybe to a blind eye. He is suddenly filling your life with a lot of uh, revelation. He's been filling your life with a lot of truth. Some of you now for several years, some of you more recently. <clears throat> but the fact is that God is doing a work of suddenly in our lives. When, when I, whenever I think of the word suddenly, I think of the book of Acts. Because Acts, at least in the King James Version, the word suddenly appears more in the book of Acts than any other book in Scripture. When, when we look at how God does us suddenly, however, it seems suddenly to us, but sometimes the suddenly comes after a long period of preparation. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like we look at somebody that is a, is a success in life, and if it comes, if it appears to have happened quickly, we call them an overnight success. They may have been preparing uh, in their job, their profession, <clears throat> they might be an actor or a, a musician, singer, uh, book author. I mean, most any walk of life. And when all of a sudden they appear on the scene and they seem like they come out of nowhere, we think that they're an overnight success. But the truth of the fact is they've been in preparation for a lot of years. They have, they've paid a, a tremendous price for that, quote, overnight success. But the Father works it. And I, maybe that's what Paul was getting at when he said, uh, don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you'll reap if you do not faint. It's that period of preparation that seems long, but then when all of a sudden you're catapulted to the front of the scene, so to speak, or you, all of a sudden you rise to the surface, other people that know nothing about the long period of preparation that God's been bringing you through look at you like, wow, where did you come from? The, the, the success that you're enjoying or the knowledge you have or what, whatever, it, it's like it's come suddenly to you, but it hasn't been so suddenly 
<clears throat> if you have been going through the process. Now, that's how it works sometimes. So God, God has a period of preparation. And when everything lines up just perfectly, when it's just like the Father planned it, then he moves suddenly. And when that suddenly comes, there's tremendous shifts that come with it. Uh, uh, minds are changed. Lives are altered. Paths are redirected. Suddenly with God always means an adjustment that takes you from where you are currently to where he wants you to go in the present or even in the future. When you look at the suddenlies in scripture, when you look at the suddenlies in life, most of them come <clears throat> out of our control. And uh, they often set you at odds with the status quo. Sometimes those suddenlies, and you probably noticed this, maybe with, with revelation or truth that's come into your life, all of a sudden now you're, you're in the minority. None of your friends quite see it that way. Uh, your family maybe uh, is giving you a little bit of, of grief, <laughs> a little bit of pushback on the truth and revelation that you have. So the, when he suddenly's come and you see it, you, the, the, the light clicks on, sometimes it puts you in the minority. Maybe that's why the long preparation. God has been preparing you. And never discount all of the preparation you've come through. Never discount all of the events of your life. Never discount uh, some of the hurts, the setbacks, the things that you, when you're going through them, you look, you look at them and you say, what's the cause, what's the purpose of this? Why, why, am, I, why am I going through this? Where's God in all of this mess? Well, the, the, the truth is he's in the middle of the mess with you. He doesn't send you into the mess alone. He walks into the mess with you. But when you look back in retrospect, when you look in hindsight, you understand now some of what he has done so that when the suddenly comes, you've been prepared for it. So truth, revelation, uh, success, it may, may appear to be overnight, but God has always been working behind the scenes. God's been working in circumstances, situations, in lives, in, in people that have come across your path that maybe you didn't even recognize to bring you to a place where, where he can now work what would look like a suddenly. Let me walk you through three or four scriptures in Acts and you can kind of get the gist of how this suddenly thing looks like. Acts chapter 2 verse 2 is probably the most familiar suddenly that we uh, that we most likely read in our scripture. But I want to read you four in real quick succession in the book of Acts just, just to give you an idea. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 2, let me start with first, first verse. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All right, so God, God was doing a divine setup here. He had selected the people. He had worked in their lives. He brings them into one place and they're in one accord. And in verse 2, it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The suddenly appeared to happen quickly. But God had prepared and actually had been working through history to bring a group of people to this point where the writer of the book of Acts says it was a suddenly. Now it was a suddenly to us. But it wasn't a suddenly necessarily to God. All right. Acts chapter 9. Let's look over. I'm just going to walk you right from left to right through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. It says, And as they journeyed, Paul came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. So we see Paul getting set up now for what, what the plan of God is for Saul's life which is, first of all, he's going to change his identity from Saul to Paul, but God had a mission for him. He was going to send him 
as the chief revelator to the Gentiles of the goodness and the grace of God. So all through Saul's life, through all of his religious training, through all of the persecution he dished out on the church, uh, now as the light begins to shine, he's going to probably go through a period in the desert of maybe feeling guilty, condemned, questioning himself. But God was working through all of that for a suddenly to begin to take place in the life of Saul that became Paul. So when you, what I'm getting at is when you look at your life, don't be surprised when something appears to be suddenly, but then in retrospect, you look back at your life and you see the long, the long period of preparation and all the stages that the Father brought you through to bring you to this time of a suddenly, just like he did in the life of Saul. Let's keep going to the right. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 26 says this, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Uh, here again, we find the manifestation appearing as a suddenly. And yet in the background, God was working through the entire imprisonment of Paul and probably the background working was much shorter than we see some of these others. But when the manifestation came and God began to move, I want you just to, just to notice how it works in Scripture. It, the, the move appeared to be suddenly. Bang! It just came out of nowhere and it began to take place. All right, one more. Acts chapter 22 and verse 6. Acts chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone round about me. So again, we see a sudden leaf that God is working to create circumstances and situations that will, that will bring to pass his, his plan in the lives of not only just individual people, but groups. Now, I want you to notice something about these suddenlies. All of the suddenlies were divinely generated. Man didn't have a vote. Man didn't have a decision in any of the timing or the results or the outcome of the suddenlies. They were, they were strictly the choice of the Father. When the time was right and he needed to break through, he did it suddenly apart from uh, a choice, a decision, an act of what we call our free will, that none of that took place. That tells me that the Father's not a cosmic lightweight. He's not looking for you to get yourself right. He's not looking for you to get yourself in alignment. But in fact, he is able to bring through influence and circumstances, he's able to bring about the situation exactly as he wants it, and then he moves suddenly. Well, the reason I'm going through these suddenlies with you is because when we look at the whys of our existence, when you look at the why of your existence, and as I said in my, a couple of minutes ago, I hope that when I come through these whys of the why I exist, and why I exist, the digital cathedral exists, I hope that you feel the same, the same connectedness, the same camaraderie with me and other people that come on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We share comments. Uh, you know, we watch the same teaching. It's resonating in us the same way, whether you live in Florida, California, North Carolina, Australia, England, because God is doing a work. And some of us, it's a foundational work. And others of us, it's a work of suddenly. Some of the things we talk about, it's, it's like the light comes on, and as fast as the light comes on, the darkness in the room has to go. Now, that appears to be a suddenly. But when you look back at your spiritual background, your religious background, the circumstances of your life, the things you've suffered, endured, gone through, maybe broken relationships, whatever, 
you can see now how God has begun to put the parts of your life together so that when I talk about the why of our existence, you have now a compulsion to, to, to live out the whys that we're talking about. All right? So all of these were, were, God's, were God's working in situations through people to bring about an effective change. Now, frankly, honestly, I'm, I'm in the mood this morning for some divine suddenlies. I, I'm looking for some big shifts, changes. I'm, I'm so ready to see in, in mass the walls of people's prisons crumble and the doors of liberty and freedom to open in their life. I, I'm looking for chains of ignorance to come off of people. I know that God has been working and he's, I, I just sense there's suddenly he's coming. I, I'm looking for bondages to fall off. And I want it to be a suddenly because a beautiful part about suddenly is that when you experience the suddenly, you see how effortlessly it's all about. It's not, it's not come because you've efforted in. It's not become because you've disciplined it in. It has come as a suddenly from God. And when the suddenly comes, it comes, it creates the effortless change that I talk about so often. So the why of our existence, the why of why we live, why we come together. I think when we come through these four whys, you're going to see that they have the voltage to turn the light bulb on suddenly for multitudes of people. So the question is, how do we, how do we flip the switch? Well, I think we flip the switch by giving ourselves to these whys that we're talking about, the whys of our existence, why we're here. Why are you, why are you watching Sunday morning? Why, why do you have a set time during the week that you come back and you look at this teaching and you let it begin to transform you internally? Why do you do that? I think there's a specific purpose for it. And I think God's working in your life to bring about a suddenly that will not only create suddenly in you, but will provide the voltage to turn on the light for other people that you encounter and come across your path just by the style of life that you live. So we come through two, two of our whys. I want to give you two more this morning. But before we do, let me just, let me review the other two real quick. In case this is your first Sunday with us. This is the big one. The first why we covered two weeks ago, and I think it's kind of the umbrella why, and the others kind of come under the umbrella, but I, I think it's an important why, and it gives us a real focus. So the first reason that we exist is to awaken people that are asleep to truth. And boy, there are multitudes. I'm talking about not only pre-believers, but I'm talking about people that are Christ followers. They are asleep to the gospel. They are asleep to the, to the, to the message that we teach of, of uh, the grace that Paul imparted to the Gentiles. So the first reason that we exist, the why, the thing that compels me really, and there's nothing like it. There's nothing I've experienced in my life in ministry. All of my adult life has been in ministry. And there's nothing that I have experienced that gives me the zing, the high, uh, the sense of fulfillment as looking into the eyes of somebody or talking to somebody. And all of a sudden, it's the suddenly, the light comes on and you can see it in their eyes. They get it they are now awake and they'll never go back to being asleep because once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So the, 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 the motivating drive of why we exist is to awaken those that are asleep. 
I want you to look at what Jesus said about this to his disciples. Because this is an ongoing work. It's not a one-time happening. It continues to go on in the life of a person, even in our lives. I mean, I'm seeing more. This week I have been looking and studying some things that have absolutely got me higher than a kite, to be honest with you. I've been really excited about what I've been, and I'll be sharing it in down the road as we get more toward uh, the fall. And you're probably watching this in June of 2019. So we get more into September, October. I'm going to share with you some things that I'm really discovering today. And the reason we, this, this look, discovery is not a one-time happening. That was back in church life. When you learned the doctrine, you learned the beliefs, there was nothing more to learn, so you became stagnant. It's not, that's not the journey we're on, guys. The journey we're on is a continual awakening that will last through the ages to come. You will never fully see and awaken to everything that God has prepared for us. So it's, it is an exciting adventure. We're on an adventure. <laughs> we're not on a, on a dead-end, stale trip of some kind. Now look what Jesus said in the 16th chapter of John. Let me pick it up with the 12th verse. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, Guys, I've still got a lot of things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now when they're able to, when they're in a position, when God's got them ready, just at the right time, there will be a suddenly that comes, right? And they will see whatever it is they are to see at that particular, at that particular juncture or period in their life. So he said, I've got a lot of things to tell you. I think he has a lot of things to tell us. We're not positioned, no matter how awake you are, how alive you are, you think spiritually, there's still more. There's still a lot of things he wants to tell us. So he goes on in verse 13, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all this truth that I have for you, but you're not ready to see it yet. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things that are to come. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing things that, that, will, that are just around the corner. Some of them are manifesting. Some of them were around the corner last year. They're here today. Some of them that we see around the corner next year, when we get to next year, they will be there. And so the journey continues. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and I will declare it to you. All things that the Father has, Jesus said, belong to Jesus. So out of this, therefore, he says, he will take of what belongs to Jesus, the spirit of truth will, and he will declare it, speak it, show it, reveal it to you. So do you have that? How, how do we do that? How do, how do we walk into this? Okay, we walk into it for other people. And what I'm thinking about this morning, you're set in your life. You're ready for this, right? You're, you're awakening. You see it. You're hungry. So now it becomes, how do we turn this out for other people? And that's the, the purpose of the why. All these whys are not just to absorb them yourself. They're so you can dispense them to somebody else. I'm not trying to turn you into a verbal evangelist standing on a street corner somewhere. I'm trying to get you to just let your light so shine that men may see the Father that is within you and be drawn to Him and glorify Him. That's what these whys are about. These whys are so that you can walk out a life of being, this first point, awakened to truth. As you live a life that is awakened to truth, others will see the light that shines in you and always people are drawn then to the light. So how, how, do, how does this come about? It comes about by, 
by being like Jesus and just showing a father that the world has never seen before. Tell them how good God is, who came in person to reach down and grab us right where we were. We awaken them to the good news. We take all of the bad news out, toss it aside, and we show them the good news. We show them the goodness of the Father. It's the, it's the goodness of the Father that changes the direction of the lives of people. The good news is what God has done for man. That's New Testament. That's good news. Good news is always what the Father has done for us, right? It's not what we have to do for God. That's Old Testament. Old Testament depended on man's obedience, man's sacrifice, man's willingness. Man, you know, all, all of those things had to line up in the Old Testament. But we're, we're messengers to the Gentiles, to the world, the New Covenant, the New Testament, which is, which is good news plus nothing. So what do we do? We awaken men just like you were awakened. We're taking all the mishmash of the old and the new, trying to put them together and we, we speak only about what they are a beneficiary of through the finished work of the cross. We proclaim it. We declare it. Then it becomes the job of the Holy Spirit to speak it to them. To speak it to them in language and terms and words that they understand so that the veil is removed, their heart is open, and they are drawn. We lift him up. We magnify him. We, we, we expand on the finished work, the goodness of God, the love of God, all of those things. We just, we just live it. We just, and then the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that Jesus promised to all men, takes it, breaks it down into the lives of people so that they see it and are drawn to it. It's... It's not, a, it's not a, a hard sell on your point like we were led to believe in church all our lives. We had to hard sell the gospel. You had to come, make people come to a point of decision. You can't make anybody really make a decision that will last permanently, but I'll tell you what, the spirit of truth can. Spirit of truth can transform lives suddenly, and they get it, and they believe. All right, that's the first reason. Second reason we talked about last week. This is the second why of our existence, right? This is, why we, this is why we come together. This is why we learn. This is why we expand. To present a God who is a relational father, not a judicial deity, all right? Let me say that again. We exist. This is our why. What we do, how we do it, are all fine. What we do is teach, how we do it, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. That's how we do it. We film, we video, we do all those things. You know, I'm involved in a, in a podcast now every week. We do a lot of things. That's how we do and what we do. But why we do it, why we do it, number one, is to awaken people. And number two, is to present a God that is a relational father, not a judicial deity. Why are you there in, in John 5? And this, this is important. This, this, this may be the big one because once people see the father in the right light, everything else starts to fall in place. I feel like this is... This is Maybe the heart and soul of what, I, what I'm all about is to get the Father out of the Old Testament light into the, into the reflection and the manifestation that Jesus presented. And it's moving him out of that judicial light that we've heard about forever. Even though we read John chapter 5 and verse 22 a, a gazillion times, because it was so entrenched how, how judicial he was, how much he was going to judge us, uh, that he can't stand sin, all of that kind of thing, we would read John 5, and it just would pass right over because we didn't get a suddenly of the light of John 5, coming out. Look what he says in John 5, For the Father judges no one. 
Now, why can't we just take that literally? All you, all you literalists out there watching, all you guys that are in it, why can't you just take this as being an inerrant verse? The father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. What is that, what is that saying? That's saying that when we look at God, we put him in the light of a father. What does a father do? A father corrects, yes, he guides, he provides. A father lays down his life for his children because his love is unconditional. He's not waiting for his children to love him back before he lays his life down. He's not looking for a response from his children before he provides dinner. See, judging, separating, uh, eternal torture for not returning love, that's not the way of a father. Might be the way of Zeus or Molech, but it's not the way of the God, the father that Jesus represented. It's not a father that would come and die our death, absorbing all that we are into himself rather than lose any of his children. Let me tell you how secure God has made this for you this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship. All right? God has worked, every one of us. You are a creation of God. Now look at the security that he gives to us. And I'm driving home the point what a good father he is. Look at the security he gives. For you are his workmanship, watch, created in Christ Jesus. You were never outside of Christ. You, in fact, were created in him. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see the goodness of God in that, the Father. I want you to see the fatherhood of, of the one who created us. I want you to see uh, his security, his provision. He's not, he's not, he put us in Christ to ensure and to protect us so that he could fully complete the plan that he set in motion before time began. So he looked at us and said, you know what? I'm making you in my image and likeness and I'm placing you in Christ so that when I see you, I see him. And when I see him, I see you. You are one together. That's how, that's how relational he is. He's not judicial, he's relational. And all he wants is for us to walk with him in the cool of the evening. That's what Adam did. As long as Adam walked with him in the cool of the evening, Adam remained free from bad choices, bad decisions, guilt, condemnation, fear, all of those things, as he understood the relational, relational aspect of the Creator toward him. When he, when he got himself in trouble is when he now all of a sudden thought that God was distanced from him, that God was holding out on him, that he wasn't relational. And as soon as he made bad choices, then all of a sudden God became his judge, he thought, and he was filled with fear. Did the Father change? He never changed. It was in Adam's mind that the changes took place. All right, so the second why we exist, and we covered this thoroughly last week, is so that we can demonstrate, we can proclaim a relational father, not a judicial deity that is like Molech or Zeus. All right, here's number three, and, and I'm going to do the last two this morning, all right, so we can wrap this up, because we've got a lot more stuff to talk about weeks ahead. But I thought this was important, so that we can just kind of stop the bus and let us all jump on board and realize why we're doing what we're doing and why we're living the life that we live. So you have a purpose in your life. You've got, you have, as we used to call it, destiny and God's put a vision in you. He's put a vision in there to awaken people that sleep. He's put a vision in you to uh, uh, demonstrate a relational father, not a judicial deity. And the third reason that we, of our why, why we do what we do, number three, it's to announce that the Father never excluded anybody 
but included all in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Pre-believers have never heard that. The world has never heard that message. The world has heard the message of exclusion and separation. The world has never heard, and this is a huge why, why we exist. We exist to announce that the Father, because He's loving, because He wants to awaken us, He has not excluded anybody. The worst of the worst, He's not excluded, but included all in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. See, we, we need to proclaim that Jesus didn't come to rescue just a small minority. He came to rescue everybody. The pronouncement of his coming, if religion would just stop messing with it, the pronouncement that the angels made when, when, at the birth of the little child, if we had stopped trying to make it mean something that it doesn't, it's pretty obvious. Let me read it for you. Here's, here's what the pronouncement was when he came. Luke chapter 2, very beginning. Luke chapter 2 and uh, verse 10 and 11. And we would just look at it and say, okay, this is why, this is his why. This is why he came. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Watch. Then the angel said to them, this is the shepherds, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, and they said, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, watch, of great joy, listen, which shall be for all people. So the angels are breaking up, man. They're having a Holy Ghost hoedown, so to speak. And they're making this pronouncement of good news that shall be of great joy to all people. Why? Because there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. When he was born into the world, the angel made the pronouncement, you're all in. This is, for, this is good news for everybody. Your Savior, everybody, is born today in the city of Jerusalem. It was very clear, very simple. It, I mean, you have, to, you have to mess around with these scriptures to make people excluded. But that's what we, we have done. So you and I have a why in life, and that is per, to pronounce the inclusion. Now, what, what, well, what about his death? What about his death? I hear this all the time. I, we only believe Jesus died for those that believe. Well, is that true? Did Jesus only die for people that believe? Or did the death on the cross include everybody? Did it include all? Let me read a, just a couple of verses, and I want you to make up your own mind, because I, I had that mindset at one time, that Jesus didn't die for you till you believe. You know, then when you believed, okay, then his death, he died for you. But he didn't die for you till you believe. So in effect... <laughs> In effect, we were creating a scenario of our own salvation by our belief, by our faith, by our confession, uh, by our words, by our whatever we needed to do, and then, then it counted, right? Now watch what it says. Let me just give you a couple verses. And some of these verses I read so often that you ought to know them by heart by now, but they're verses that uh, if we go over them enough, I know that they'll be deposited into the computer, into, into your hard drive, so that you can pull them up at any time. Watch, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 14 says this. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. That was his why. And here's why. He said, because we judge thus, or here's how we see it. Here's how the light has come on to us. Here it is. That if one died for all, 
If one died for all, then all have died. So did he just die for those that believe? No, he's, everybody was included in the death. If one died for all, then all died. All right, let me give you one, let me give you one more. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Some of these old religious myths we have simply got to boot out the door, which is, which is the reason you have these whys I'm giving you. You have been selected, appointed, anointed, prepared, and now you're being sent to just live these out, to demonstrate them. All right? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That he might taste death for everyone. So everyone tasted death in him. Now, here's a very, very, very clear, very simple answer here. Follow me. Is it the same all who died with Christ as the all for whom Christ died? Let me, let me ask you the question again. Is it the same all who died with Christ that we just read as the all for whom Christ died that we just read? Come on, of course it is. Of course it is. To think otherwise is absurd. To think otherwise is to try to put a, a, a twist with a wrench on the scripture. Jesus died for every person that was alienated in their minds because of Adam. See, what Adam did was open up the minds of this feeling of alienation and separation. We call it missing the mark or being a sinner. So let's, let's just make it, let me relate it to you religiously like you've ever always heard it. Jesus died for every sinner in Adam. And every sinner in Adam died with Jesus, every single one. So Jesus died for every sinner in Adam. And every sinner in Adam died with Jesus. Simplistically saying, the entire human race died at the cross. Adam's race died at the cross. How many? How many of Adam's race died at the cross? All, according to Paul. Now, let me tell you how crazy and, and, and insane religion is if you just examine it, all right? This is the reason, number three, this, this is why it's so important. The same people who claim you were born in sin, alienated from God, totally de depraved, even before you ever committed your first sin, because Adam did, you had no choice, they put you all in Adam, they turn right around and argue that you aren't righteous until you believe and receive the last Adam by an act of your will. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? We're willing to place everybody in first Adam, but we're not willing to place everybody in last Adam. They contend, you know, that Adam affected everybody, but that Jesus didn't affect everybody. How can you then argue that Jesus, the last Adam, doesn't affect everybody unless you first do something, unless you're going to diminish last Adam to be not as great as first Adam? What we've done religiously is exalted 
first Adam and diminished last Adam. We've made last Adam totally impacting humanity, but last Adam only impacting those that make a decision to be impacted. Now, the truth is, take it or leave it, but this is why we, we come together at the Digital Cathedral. It's why we, we pour it out on Wednesday night. The fact of justification is that everybody is included in what Jesus did. Just like all were included in what Adam did. Isn't that what Paul was driving at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, when he said, Just as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is saying we can't diminish the work of last Adam to be less than the work of first Adam. Then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, but every man in his own order. That's why you and I minister today. That's why we, we have our four whys. People come in their own order. There are, there will be, there's wave after wave after wave of people that are coming into what we now see as truth. You happen to be on the front side of the wave and there are going to be waves and waves of people that follow you. So you're going to be the ones that turn the lights on. I, I was meditating this week and I feel like the Spirit of God said that the day of his sovereign moving in the earth is over. He is now entrusting the sons, the sons, you and me, to carry forth the work that before he had to sovereignly do himself. That the tide is now turning, that the wave is strong enough that we can awaken, we can proclaim uh, a, 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 a loving father, not a judicial deity. We can now begin to announce to all that they have been included. We can now do as the voice what he did previously as the voice within us. That now becomes our mission in our, our, our destiny in all of this. Amen? So we, we believe this to experience it, not to make it happen. It has already happened. It's already true. Whether we believe it or not, it's true. It's, it's the work of the cross that makes it, makes it real and not my commitment. But it's time to just fully let this cat out of the bag. I think this, this, whole, this whole point of inclusion is absolutely essential, just as the other two whys are. When I stop on any of these whys, I, I'm thinking in my mind, this is the most important one. <laughs> But they all are important and they all come together to create the why of our motivation. It's the love that compels us like it did Paul to put this into the hearts of people. All right, number four. I got to hurry on. Fourth reason that we're here, our why is this. We're here to secure a right identity for every person. This is, this is essential. We are here to help every person get their right identity true identity secured to get what does that mean that means we are to get people to see themselves the way the father sees them seeing ourselves anyway except the way he sees us is a lie when God looked at all of us when God looked at humanity that he created in his image and his likeness he looked at us and you know what he said he looked at you and he said man this is this is a piece of work you're my workmanship and it's very good he said that knowing everything that we'd do in life. He said that knowing every, every mess up we would make, every foul up, every wrong turn. He looked at us and said, very good. The identity that you have, your actual true identity is based on that creative union that we have with him. 
living in that recognition, when we do, equips us for anything in the world that we will encounter, anything the world would throw at us. See, we were never designed, we were never created to live out of our own self-sufficiency. We were, and in Texas, that's hard because boy, in Texas, I mean, we're independent. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're just going to get her done, you know? But that's not the way he created us. He created us to live out of that union that we have with the creator. So when we lose that identity, which, which we did in our heads, as Adam lost it in his head, and we forget, as Isaiah chapter 51 verse 1 says, we forget the rock that we were hewn out of. We forget that. When we forget the rock that we were hewn out of, all of a sudden this false identity emerges. We forget that we are, can I say it this way, that we're a chip off the old block. He's the rock that we were hewn out of. And when you forget that, you forget who you are and you see yourself in a way that conflicts with the way God sees you. When you, when you no longer see yourself the way that God sees you, listen, then you begin to think in your mind that God sees you the way you see you. And that's wrong. That's distorted. That's false. And you start thinking what people say about you is your identity. And your identity now becomes shaped around your money, your position, your failures, your comparison with other people. What you're told will make you happy. And your lifestyle now morphs into that false identity. Behavior, never forget this. You ought to write this down. Think about it. Behavior always follows identity. Always follows identity. The, the scripture, really, this, this is an account of our, of our authentic likeness that we lost in Adam but re, re, received back in Christ. That's the message. Yes, you may feel alienated in your mind. You may feel that everything you've done has separated you from God. That's a lie. That is not your identity. It has been recovered for you in Christ. The truth is the Father's never disgusted with you. The fact is he's never disappointed no matter what you do, the Father will never reject you. He will never be ashamed of you. He will always be proud to call you his child. He looks at you and sees himself because you still have the image and the likeness of God stamped on your life just, just like your offspring do when you hold them and look at them and you say, that, boy, that boy's got his mama's eyes. He's got his grandpa's nose. You know why? Because the image and the likeness of his heredity has been stamped into him just as it has you. We've got to take this idea that man has put in us, that religion has taught us concerning the point of our origin. Religion always starts with the fall of Adam. They put you at a place of separation and uh, a place of a, of a wrong identity in nature to begin with. That's the wrong starting position. We've got to minister right identity. And if we do that, we're going to have to take people back further in history than the fall of Adam. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start winding this down in just a minute. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. This tells you your identity in another way other than Genesis 1. Verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image. Speaking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
16. For by him all things were created. You were created by the first creation himself. Everything that is in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, watch. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things. Watch. And in him. This is your identity. And in him everything consists. You cannot have an identity of separation if you are created in him. Our roots, your roots are in Jesus. So you became a son of God. Listen, you became a son of God not because you did something. Not because you confessed something. Not because you believed something. Our sonship came to us through adoption in Christ before time began. He chose you in Christ. Ephesians 1.5 says from the get-go. Make no mistake. Make no mistake about it. This was a done deal. Stamped, finished by the Father from the beginning. Theologically, we've created this idea of man being sinful by nature as if somehow we're flawed by design. God did not design a flawed creation. It's a distorted mindset that we inherited from Adam, but Jesus has freed us from that mindset. So let me say this in conclusion. Define yourself, identify yourself like this. You are loved by God. That's your identity. That's the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. So the message that we have, the why of our existence in a nutshell, our bottom line, why, why we come together on Sunday, why we come together on Wednesday, why the suddenlies are going on in our life, why all this revelation and truth is flooding into us. It's to make him known to all men and to show what the good news simply is. And here it is. Let me put it in a nutshell. The Father through the Son and the Spirit has already chosen you. He's already redeemed you. He's already justified you, sanctified you, fully reconciled you, made you totally righteous and complete in Christ. All of this was deposited into your life's account before the foundation of the world. That's the message. So then we simply proclaim, be reconciled to him. Or in simple English, wake up. Wake up to who you really are. And live the abundant life without stress. Live the abundant life that he promised that you can have here and now. All right, so never forget why we do what we do. We know how we do it. We know what we do. Our why is to awaken people. It's to show them a father, not a judicial deity. Let them know they've been included in everything that has ever been done through the cross. And to secure back that identity of image and likeness of God that they've always had but didn't know. I'll tell you what, we have an exciting life. We have an exciting venture. And I'll tell you, it's a privilege and honor and a joy to make this journey with all of you on the Digital Cathedral and to come together with me on Wednesday Night Live. We're going to continue to le learn. We're going to continue to be awakened and have our eyes open. And the message is just going to get stronger and wider and bigger and broader and deeper for every person that we encounter. God bless. We'll talk about it more Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral.